Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn. I'm Ann Thompson. And we certainly are in the final few weeks of Oscar season where so many different kinds of things can happen that complicate the equation. And a good reminder that you could take nothing for granted about seeing how the season is going. A couple of weeks back, we certainly didn't have Andrea Riseborough as a Best Actress contender on our, on our punch cards. And we did not um, expect that even if she would get nominated, that this kind of noise around that nomination uh, would happen. But here we are. Uh, not only last week did, was she a uh, nominated Best Actress, but there was a lot of pushback about the campaigning, uh, social media support by her famous friends. And then the Academy had a special meeting this past week where they decided she would stay nominated, uh, but that uh, there would be some rule changes around uh, promoting and campaigning uh, coming after the Oscars. So, uh, and let's get into this because I think what's fascinating about it is that it shows you that there's basically like two different mindsets here. One is that you have to follow the letter of the law. And the other is that anybody who follows the letter of the law has to have a certain amount of money and resources to do it. And this is what happens when you try to get a small movie into the conversation. So whose side are you simple. on? It's not that simple at all. Oh, it's not? I thought it no. was like super black and white. <laughs> <laughs> so the rules are all pretty, you know, often pretty vague. I mean, some of them are very clear. You're not supposed to direct mail anybody uh, about a performance. That's a no-no. You're not supposed to have a an event at your house uh, without a screening uh, and invite people over to have dinner and talk about a movie and a performance. You're not supposed to do that. Mary McCormick and her husband, um, who directed uh, to Leslie, uh, did that, you know, Michael Morris. And so it, it's, um, it's a, it's a very, um, uh, it's an interesting thing because so many Oscar campaigners know exactly what the rules are. Their jobs. Um, you're not supposed to go on social media and uh, d downplay the chances. Uh, uh, you know, you're not supposed to mention your rivals. Right. You can't yeah, mention your which rivals. Is what Francis Fisher did on, on Instagram. Specifically, um, she said, which is actually sort of ironic, because what she said was that, that it seemed like Viola Davis and Deadweiler uh, were a locks, right? <laughs> not, which not, maybe that was a wink, case. wink or not. Turns but not to be true. So yeah. it's a ranked thing. And if you put your candidate higher up in the rankings they got a better shot of getting in and you need about 218 votes so so it it, it all worked out for andrea riseborough and she's got the nomination nothing's taken no one's taking it away from her um nor would the academy have alienated the actors branch by doing that they would have been very foolish to to do that um because people break these rules all the time you know it's just a question of getting away with it and the academy doesn't really uh, wrap people's knuckles that often, you know, Nicholas well, the, got, you know, got in trouble and for, and for the, the hurt locker. Cause he trouble. said like, don't, don't with something about, you know, don't let the multi-billion dollar movie win, which was obviously avatar. I mean, there's, but the thing is most of this stuff happens behind closed doors in certain kinds of ways that people don't see. And this campaign was so out in the open that, and, and so out of nowhere too, yeah, that, but, I mean, you know, it, was, it, you know, it got people more fired up. A lot of actors were happy to support her. She gives a terrific performance in the movie, but the movie didn't follow the usual trajectory that one would expect of going to a, a, an awards-friendly festival. It, it did open at South by Southwest uh, in out of competition. It, it didn't get, it, you know, it got a, an Indie Spirit nomination um, 
which was appropriate for a small independent film that made $27,000 at the box office after five days of, of release. It didn't and that have... nobody knew about. Nobody. I mean, had you heard of the movie before this campaign? I was, sort of? I was given invitations to see it, you know? Um, but but the thing is, I, I was... Mother, I, you know? I was we, like, eh. when, I mean, the thing is, we're on the front lines with festivals, right? Tracking movies all the time. I spoke to Andrea Riseborough right before South by Southwest last year because she was in another low-budget movie called Here Before that's really great or that, that very few people saw uh, that came out in very limited release. And she was about to go to South by, and she also was in the electrical life of Louis Wayne. She right. had please baby, please, which opened Rotterdam. And then Amsterdam came out. She was in Matilda. I mean, this is no, truly a a and a chameleon esque versatile always, actress. I went, I went but of all her, the performances, I went and looked at all of her, of her, all of her credits. And, I remember discovering her around 2013 in a in a movie. I think it was Irish movie. James Marsh directed it called uh, Shadow Dancer, and I just thought she was extraordinary. And I interviewed her. I mean, out of nowhere, I didn't know anything about her, and she showed up in W.E. You know that Madonna movie. She's great in The Death of Stalin. She's very funny. Very funny. She's as she was. She was very good in Battle of the Sexes. You know, she had an affair. Mandy. She's Mandy and Mandy, which drives. Nicholas Cage to right, his, his vengeful uh, experience. And, no, but favorite. but the thing is, so some of these movies are better these than are others. But she, these are all small she, films. Yeah, she, she takes small all kinds of wild them, risks. And none of them were Oscar movies. And and this one I didn't think was either. I mean, the, the irony of all of this is that it's not the great. It's not a particularly great movie. It felt very formulaic. Uh, her performance is is solid, but the you know a lot of fake Southern accents in it, not so much. And I, I just felt sort of like I'd seen so many versions of this kind really of really good. Drama. And there were some scenes. There's one scene in a bar where this Willie Nelson song is playing, where she has this sort of revelatory moment where she realizes that she doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want to drink anymore. An amazing, amazing silent scene where all of these different emotions are going across her face. There are a few of those. There are a few of those. That's what the actors are responding to. They're responding to these moments where you can see everything she's thinking and feeling. Um, and it's very authentic. I, I think it is a great performance, but it, it isn't, it didn't come about this, this, this Oscar nomination did not come about in the usual organic way where critics would be raving about it, or it would yeah. be given a prize here and there, or the SAG awards would give it a, a, a now because it didn't have a big campaign behind it and didn't get a proper release. These are some of the reasons why, and it's okay that there was a grassroots campaign. It's just that they broke a lot of rules along the way. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's frustrating how all of this unfolded irregardless of which rules were broken and how it went about. Because on the one hand, it could be a good case study for people in the industry to think about how you can be a part of this conversation, even if you don't have, you know, a lot of FYC dollars and the ability to throw big events and so forth. Of course, it helps if you're plugged into the Hollywood ecosystem somehow and have famous friends with actors. You yeah, well, work with that uh, I don't know. Some, some with anyone with social reach. I mean, if you're a director and you know a lot of actors, could you get you know, work your way into the to the to a other category screenplay well, or something the point like that here is that the director and his wife ended up getting more attention for the movie as a result of this campaign it was self-serving 
for them. Yeah, of course. In the end. It's good yeah. for the movie. It's a good plane movie. I watched it on my... Film. It was on I, the portal. I watched yeah. it on the way back from Sundance on the plane. And I'm sure <laughs> there were other people doing that too. I mean, it's the kind of movie that falls into a library like that. It's just a, it's a library title. And, and I'm sure this helps it in that sense. But then at the same time, I feel like because this was handled in such a public way, because there was essentially an emergency meeting held and a very stern email that came out from the Academy, you know, essentially telling Academy members like, be careful, follow the rules, don't talk about this stuff publicly. It does end up being really dramatic for everyone involved and it makes it harder to think outside the box. Like now there may be a more conservatism around you just figure what they have to do is is what happened here was that a lot of people some many of them academy members uh got involved in 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 direct mail and in 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 social media they they got involved in a campaign without no the people there were pr firms on it there were people who knew what the rules were but the people who got excited and got involved didn't necessarily follow the rules the academy needs to make these rules clearer and they need to make them uh, more transparent to the rest of the academy. Every, I mean, right now, I would say it's really the uh, professionals who understand what the rules are and where the lines are. Yeah, exactly. They and they play. They dance the up to the they line a lot. They were a lot. Everybody, yeah, every and everybody's dancing up to the line a lot. But the thing is, social media happens in a very public way. So if you're breaking the rules there, people, everybody so, can see it and right. it's documented. So you're not allowed to talk about other movies and other uh, people in your category. Uh, you're certainly not allowed to 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 uh, be be you know saying anything negative, and and you're really not supposed to do direct mail campaigns. Uh, you're supposed to go through the academy. They have a mailing house that sends things out for blasts and stuff like that. But it but the question of how to to monitor and litigate social media as a whole, I mean, you should be able to go on and say that you like a movie or that you like a performance. You should be able to do that on social media. I don't see how you can. Right. And then it's, it's just such a slippery thing. I mean, you're talking about for Academy members, it's 10, 10,000 people who all have to know when they're going through the Academy portal and they have all these movies they can watch that it's okay to, to publicly say you love a movie. You just can't, you can't mention the other one. So then when Jason Blum says RRR is going to win best picture, he's savvy enough to know, well, I can't say RR is going to win best picture and it deserves it more than Avatar way of water or something like that. But not everybody's going to remember that when they tweet something out. So we could see a lot more of this kind of thing now that everyone's thinking about where these rule violations might be hiding in, in plain well, I sight. I know that, that Jason Weinberg, the manager who is also behind this campaign, was very pleased with himself, you know. Probably still is, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, all yeah. things can... If no she had been kicked, if she had lost the nomination... Yeah, but she still gets the nomination. She's still in. And I think this raises another question. Yeah, we're all talking about it. We wouldn't be talking about it as much without it. But on the other hand, she's actually, I think, a bit tainted by it in a way. I I it the news cycle has been tough. Then but but I mean I guess there's two different sides to it. Maybe she is tainted by the news cycle, but in terms of the people who support this performance, doesn't this galvanize them even further? And does, doesn't this get some additional sympathy votes as well for people who say, oh, actually, she is a great actress and what's happening isn't fair. 
And yes, there is an argument that she pushed out the two women of color who could have been in this category. And there, there are people who are angry about that. But are those is that enough to punish her or is the noise around her being unfairly lambasted even greater? You know, she could actually have some real leverage as a best actress candidate because of all of this. Which is insane because it's. I don't think that's going to be true, but I mean, but one thing that's sort of interesting at the at the, if you think about it at at the meeting, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at the governor's, the board of governors meeting because. Where Whoopi Goldberg is there? (laughs) You know who actually produced and starred in Till and was probably very upset about Danielle. Board of governors, yeah. And then you have um, this, uh, the editor of Woman King. The Woman King was also one of the governors and. So she she must not have been very happy about Viola Davis not getting a slot. And Viola was up for CCAs and Globes and she was probably close. She she was really in there. I mean, Danielle Deadweiler was up and down in in terms of where she was getting uh, nominated. But uh, Viola was across the board getting getting slots. So this was a big shock for her. All right. So let's look at what this could actually mean if there is any discernible impact, because for many, many months, an exhaustingly long number of months, we've been talking about the Cape Blanchett, Michelle Yeoh showdown, as it were. You you hypothesized a little while back that maybe Cape Blanchett was stepping back a bit to let Michelle Yeoh have her moment. She's supporting lots of people. She's supporting Riseboro at the LA Philippines. But she also supported her. Days. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so she's an, she's, she's an equal opportunity uh, supporter. Um, I, I think she realizes that she's won, you know, before or twice. You know? so, so if that's, her, if that's the case, win. so, if, and if, if she's, she's been giving, she's been sort of boosting all these different people. We assume Michelle Yeoh has it. But then at the same time, the Riseboro factor. In what way does she have it? What wins the category? I don't think that's in the bag at all. I think so it then, very well go to Kate Blanchett because she's going to represent Tar, and it will be the one win for Tar that could happen. It could Tar could win other things too. Well, but that is the that we've talked about that before. There's still the Tar. screenplay possibility. So, but but then with Riseboro can also have an impact in terms. Of, I mean, some people are going to vote for her question is how many and how much of an overall or something in the in the actual branch but this is the whole academy now the right. whole academy is voting the whole academy hasn't necessarily seen to leslie the no. mainstream academy has never responded will. to this little independent film so it's gonna go with michelle yeah or kate blanchett don't worry about it i'm i'm not i'm not worried but but I, it does feel like the kind of thing where maybe if the if they didn't have the controversy they could have had a little more momentum going too. I don't think the I mean, cinematographers and the and the editors and and the and the makeup artists and all those people are are necessarily watching to Leslie, you know, before they vote. I spoke to Brandon Cronenberg last week for a story about Infinity Pool, which is hilarious and crazy, and I highly recommend it. Maybe not to you, Anne. It's maybe a little too wild for you, but it's got a bit of White Lotus to it, it so you Alexander might appreciate it. Yes. So it's got some. Yes, and, and and it's very um, sensual in in ways I won't um, spoil here. I've read. But, but he he directed her in Possessor, which is an, another really wild movie, and he was saying, you know, like this is an actress who obviously has not received her due for a very long time, and now that she's Oscar nominated, maybe that will change maybe she it will change her profile and the kind of project she's getting offered irrespective of you know what she's doing in two leslie and how good the movie is 
but it is an interesting question of you know she was Oscar nominated, but in this very weird specific context. That's my so point. I wish it's hard to say we're being nominated in the organic, ordinary, uh, run of the mill way. You know, I wish she was getting supported by the critics groups and and having a hit that somehow broke out and and got huge hit at critical acclaim. I wish that were true, and and that she could have that. You know, a legitimate know. nomination. All of this makes me wonder. Why the Academy? I mean, I think I know, but why the Academy would even address this right now? Why not just, you know, it's a, it's a zero sum situation. She's still nominated. Why not just get into this after the fact as opposed to before fact, voting closed? To the curb, Eric. I mean, there's some, uh, you know, the awards. But it, they added to the, the news awards. cycle. Well, no, it, it's going. It's going to quiet down now. It'll it'll go away. I mean, it's they have they have no interest in in building up interest in this before the Oscars, and there will be some rules committee. You know, the awards committee is going to figure out what the rule changes are going to be, and later on, when they announce all the rule changes, it'll be all hidden in the in the long release <laughs> that they send out. It's that they're <laughs> they're not interested in in a as I said, alienating actors who they want to have come on the award show, and and be, uh, you know, rip, wrapping anybody on the knuckles. They're not it, doing anything. It just shows you that there was clearly a lot of pressure to to discuss this right now ASAP. From the, probably from some of the people we just mentioned. Yeah, people who didn't get in or, or who felt slighted because of those results. Well, I'm, I'm sure that Bill Kramer and company are, are holding their breath and, and crossing their fingers that this is the biggest drama they will have to deal with now exactly. as they, they get to the finish line, this year. <laughs> especially after last year. So I guess we'll see. Um, in the meantime, I mean, one thing that I came out of this thinking about is that there are ways to get beyond the kind of narrow corridor of award season and talk about movies that can have a profile in that time, but are launched earlier. And you look at the films that were at Sundance this year, and you, you wrote about some of the, the potential awards contenders. You don't, you don't have to be a, suddenly a fall season sensation to be in the conversation. And so when you look at stuff at Sundance, and you, it does lead you to wonder, I mean, what, you know, what is the value of waiting a whole year to be in that conversation when you can have many, many months? I mean, everything everywhere had many, many months, and that was a South by Southwest launch. There could be films at Sundance from this past year that could get that far. I don't know if the Grand Jury Prize winner will, but that's uh, a thousand, thousand and one. It's it. opening in March. It's extraordinary. But if they're opening it in March, they don't think that that's a, and you know, that, that would be an indicator that they don't think it's an Oscar contender um the, the the i you saw past lives that's the one yes. that sounds like the most likely well past lives is is a good example because it is it had no real track record uh no obvious kind of hook to it until it went to sundance uh and now it's going to play in competition in berlin in a couple of weeks so it could win something there it continues to kind of build up steam our critic survey had um fair play as number one but Past Lives was on more number one ballots and wound up in second place in terms of overall ranking. And I think that's because it was an in-person, it was only in-person. So it was for the people who yeah, saw I it in that theater. Past Lives at home. Yeah, from and, home. And I, yeah. I saw Fair Play, which I loved, but I don't think that's an Oscar movie and it's a very commercial movie. And Netflix know? will and figure out like, how they want to position that one it, but with great. time. But 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 I think with, with Past Lives, it's going to be this slow build thing. So by the time you see it, 
you know, you can't un untangle it from the buzz. So it does end up being this like kind of slow build kind of a thing. I can't wait. No, the uh, the uh, the other movie I loved was Cassandro with Gael Garcia Bernal. So I I I I think his performance, if if someone handled it right, if Amazon decided to go for it. Um, it could be it could be a, a possibility because he he really does some things that he's never done before in terms of exploring uh, macho and exotico uh, identities in lucha. It was really fun. Yeah, they hadn't they hadn't dated that movie going into the festival, and I guess they were waiting to see how it went. Sundance was a good launch pad back on the fall circuit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a real kind of traditional crowd pleaser in certain ways, but then. You know, it's about a, a gay luchador, which we've never seen in a movie before. It really so digs into some fascinating <laughs> issues, um, I have to say. And it's his uh, one of his best performances. And of, course, stop. Uh, of course, there were some. Uh, I thought I I loved Passages, which which is one of the the better films I saw. Iris Axe new Iris movie. Axe, yep. With Franz Rogowski, who's who's who, who's often uh, in in uh, Christian Petzold's movies. But um, it, it got a, a triangle between two gay men and Adele Excarpolos, which uh, I, I thought was extremely sexy. Also going to Berlin, by the way. It's very, very European art house kind yeah. of movie, yeah. which movie acquired. And, and they sort of dipped their toes into awards season this year by campaigning for Park Chan-wook. So maybe some of that experience will influence whatever, you know, kind of currency this this one has. Although it's a... It's a very small movie yeah. and not to all tastes. It may not be an obvious. So, uh, certainly not to your yeah. steak eaters in the Academy. They're not no, super into no, to no, the no. kind of sex that, that's no. on display here. But that, that'll be an interesting one to follow. Um, but but I don't know. I mean, it's always an, an important, an important yeah. part of it. Sundance so. is the preeminent doc launch pad for more so, commercial uh, documentaries. The eternal memory from uh, May to Alberti was extraordinary, and I think that will definitely be a contender. And it won. And the mole agent got nominated her last film. And so yeah, the mole agent, and then the other, the other one from Chile, obviously, and then the other one, uh, the Nikki, the going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni project uh, was also won a prize and was was really really interesting, and I could see that going forward as well. Yeah, so so it's going to be fascinating to see what happens next for for all of those, and I'm also curious to see how the rest of the year unfolds for documentaries. I mean, there's just so many. I lose track. I mean, Ryan White, whose movie on, um, you know, the Mars Rover, Goodnight Oppie. Just got uh, an editing award. Yeah, but it didn't, it didn't get shortlisted for the doc. But he's got a new Pamela Anderson documentary on Netflix now that just kind of like materialized there when we were at Sundance. And it's always, it's just like fascinating to me how it's like, and I've been writing a bit about this, like we seem to live in in dueling worlds in terms of like, festival buzz and then everything else that people are, are watching at any particular moment in time and um i, I we could talk what a bit about watching, that Eric? yeah so this week i went to go see skinnamarink uh which is a horror movie uh, in the loosest possible sense of the word that premiered at fantasia festival last year um it was made by a youtuber and it's a, it's essentially about um, a couple of kids in a in a creepy house that's uh, been overtaken by some sort of malevolent presence, but it's completely non-narrative. You're 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 most of the movie you're watching uh, weird angles and lots of like silent periods of shadowy rooms, and then there's suddenly a jump scare. But when there isn't a jump scare, it's 
almost like in a pitch at pong where it's Thakul movie. It's like really, I swear to you, it's like you slow cinema. That name. But I thought about it as I was watching it. I was thinking about Maya Darren and Meshes in the Afternoon. So it's it's very experimental. And yet it is about to cross two million at the box office. And I that went to go weird. see it at that AMC. So let you, me tell so you, you account for that because I, it's a genre film? No. Yes and no. I saw it at AMC Times Square uh, on a weeknight and it was full of young people and it not everybody was into the movie obviously it it it's hard it's a hard sit you know if you saw it at a festival and you were primed for that experience or if you saw it at anthology film archives and you were primed for that experience that's one thing this audience you know some of them struggled with it but then when we came out people are googling it and they're talking to their friends about it oh the filmmaker is a youtuber this thing was like it leaked somehow online he shot it in the house he grew up in it's about mental illness so it's had this like really amazing life online that's captured a young audience that yes they do expect a genre experience but it's it's more like it's just like the mystery of what the hell this thing is period it's an ifc midnight title with shutter and i think they very smartly sort of tapped into a market of internet-based word of mouth which going back to the two leslie conversation it's clearly a very new kind of world in terms of understanding that kind of impact but it's driving people to go see something that they know is going to be different and and just grapple with it and have kind of well, if you look at reddit forums one of the it's most very lively things i mean i was listening to somebody talk about this uh, it, it, it used to be that you would look at what was successful and try to imitate it in terms of what you want you greenlit in terms of what movies you wanted to put forward and now it especially with something like everything everywhere setting the the tone it's all about finding something different that will pop that nobody's seen before. And that's an, your, your movie's an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. So now that the was movie the movie that I saw recently, you two, you, you people on Netflix with Eddie Murphy as the outspoken and opinionated um, uh, patriarch of, 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 a, of, of a family that doesn't approve of, <laughs> of, of the, the man who's going to marry his daughter played by Jonah Hill whose mother is Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, you can just see how how they were going to go with this. Um, it was I guess who's coming to dinner, which is a template yeah, people love to rip off from. In, in many ways. But it's no fun. meet the Fockers, let's be honest. I really did enjoy the couple and their language and their uh, bond. You know, that part worked for me. But all the conflict with the parents was hard to take. Yeah, I just I had this feeling that the the idea was there and then they just kind of took the movie for granted or something. And I, and I very quickly lost interest. Like there just well, wasn't a full on investment in, in getting it across the finish line. Part of what happened was that uh, clearly Eddie Murphy decided he was going to play it straight and he was going to not go for laughs. Yeah, it's not a so guided performance either. No, there, it isn't a comedy in the way that you would expect. No, it's not really. And Jonah Hill is the kind of actor who I think can kind of walk that line these days to some degree. But but Eddie Murphy needs the right kind of context to do that. Nevertheless, it's number one on Netflix and it's it's chugging along. And so there's that whole ecosystem. Meanwhile, then you have at the theaters, M. Night Shyamalan's movie, M. Uh, Knock at the Cabin. It seems like it's poised to dethrone Avatar. Getting good reviews. Well, here's the thing about Shyamalan. I always get good reviews. I, I like parts of the movie. I think 
I think with most of his stuff, certainly with his recent stuff, the filmmaking works in short bursts. And then there are elements of the screenplay or certain cheesy moments thrown in there that just are not well thought through. And but there, there's just like enough there that people latch on to. And that creates a lot of buzz. So every time people are like, well, he's past his prime or he's not making movies like he used to, he still comes along and makes something that's just exciting or, or satisfying enough to get that kind of buzz going. I think... I think if you saw it, you would agree with me. It's, it doesn't all totally work, but it is a very overall kind of satisfying chamber drama. I'm not going to spoil what it's about here, except to say that what it's about is one, really ridiculous, and two, a huge departure from the source material in a way that um, I think is a cop-out. But Shyamalan is somebody who, you know, I appreciate him chugging along. I wish he would have somebody else write his scripts that so they help. could be a little tighter. Um, but you know, it's interesting that we could have this kind of movie number one on Netflix. We can have this weird avant-garde horror movie making money on, you know, in limited release and then a Shyamalan movie, you know, dethroning Avatar. It's like, we're obviously living in a very complicated moment for how people are watching movies. It doesn't necessarily seem like it's all, you know, negative in that respect. Meanwhile, but, the, I'm watching The Last of Us and getting a great deal of pleasure out of it on HBO, the, the Craig Mason series that's based on a video game. And uh, the last episode was a gay love story. So who knew? Well, I think the people who knew are the ones who played the video game. So you'll have to no, uh, catch up. No, no, no is a that departure, a departure? A complete departure. No. Did you play? You played the, the game, right? existed. I didn't play the video game. <laughs> I just read the stories about it. But the people, the characters existed in the original, but not, they weren't, there was no story around them. Craig Mazin had that idea. Well, I'll have to catch up with that one. And um, next week, I'm sure we'll have some other stuff to discuss, but hopefully no crazy Oscar news because this feels like a relatively stable moment now that we've got the Riseboro drama behind us. I'll okay. see you soon, Ann. Talk to you later. Have Bye-bye, a good weekend. Eric. Bye.